From around the world, this is the Mutual Audio Network. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallwake, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. There's a whisper in the back of your mind. The more you try to ignore it, the more it digs in, like a leech. Its intent, unspeakable. Its wishes, unimaginable. Its character, undeniable. It is as much a part of you as night is a part of day. You cannot cross over the well of your own soul without touching its shadow. And if you listen, you can hear it speaking. Speaking. And you know, for everything real, there is the infinite other worlds. And you know that just by thinking it, somewhere, some time, some place, it's become real. Try as you like, no one can guard you from your own dark musings. May your fondest wish be granted. So goes an ancient Chinese curse. Sometimes the very nature of asking for what is beyond our grasp is inviting disaster. Or so it is for a janitor named Angus Danford. Thanks for coming in, Angus, my good man. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, thank you for reading my script. Yes, yes, of course, your script. So, what do you think, Mr. Bell? Do you, do you think it's something that you could use in the show? Hmm. Angus, how long have you been with us at KDMN? Six years, sir. Yes. And why do you write radio plays? Well, sir, your your show is, is the greatest show in the country. Yes, it is that. I, I mean, you turn every classic novel or play into great stories. Well, that's true. A and your Armageddon Between Worlds fooled everyone on Halloween. There's that. A some people still think that it was real. Yes. But why do you want to write radio plays, Angus? Your grip on vocabulary displays some form of breeding, I grant you. 
but your comprehension of where they are placed casts you in the light of one who is best suited as a purveyor of the mop and soap bucket. Well, sir, I, I wasn't always a janitor, and I've, I've noticed being a radio playwright has brought you lots of fame. You command a lot of respect around here, and, and I figured, well, I, I wanted... Yes, well, Angus, may I be candid? I wish you would, sir. Your latest treatise, um, The Thing from the Banana, is puerile. The writing is obtuse, the characters are clichéd and soporific, your plot is frangible, and the title is repugnant. I, I, I work three days on it during my lunch break in, in the boiler room. It needs work that neither corned beef nor the whir of furnaces can achieve. There you are, Angus. I'm sorry, Mr. Bell. Not at all, Jerry. I think we've completed our weak clue here. Angus? Uh, yes, Mr. Bell. As a playwright, you are an excellent custodian. Come on now, Angus. Let's leave Mr. Bell to work. Farewell, fair minions of ablution. Spot on, or rather, spot off, as the case may be. So you'll keep my script, then? I'm filing it as we speak. What do you think you're doing? Mr. Bell made it clear to you that no one, least of all you, is to bother him. He's got to prepare for Friday's show. What's this, like the third time? He said he's always looking for new scripts. He was being polite. Do you want to keep your job? What? Do you want to keep your job? Well, yeah. Then stay away from Mr. Bell's office. The man's a genius. I need you with the boiler. It's on the fritz again. I swear if we don't get a new one, it'll blow up the place. Okay, okay. Look, you got the long weekend coming. Why don't you take it off? Go to that cottage of yours. Lake house? Yeah. You said there's fish in there. Spend the weekend in fish. Forget all this writing nonsense. Maybe you're right. I am right. And I grab that toolbox and let's... I should have listened to Jerry, but I couldn't. Mr. Bell was the most popular writer in America. Maybe maybe the world. I keep thinking that I was just a late bloomer. Maybe we all are, you know? Late bloomers? It took nearly 5,000 years for mankind to develop its first recognizable culture. But I'm rushing ahead. I've got to keep it all straight, or, or I'll go mad. I, I've got to be very clear about the order of things, because I'm having more and more difficulty recognizing my thoughts from its. I took Jerry's advice, at least about fishing. My parents' cottage has been in the family for generations. In its glory, it had 25 rooms, complete with servants and housekeepers. My father... God bless his soul. Lost most our wealth in the crash. But he managed to keep the cottage by the lake. And just five years ago, passed away there. There's no servants anymore. And with it in my hands now, I've barely enough money to pay taxes. Certainly not the electricity. But it still is a wonderful place to relax. This weekend, however, while the weather was kind enough, the fish weren't biting. My luck, though, was about to change. What felt like a nibble on the line turned out to be something quite different. My hook snagged on something at the bottom of the lake. Something ancient. A sealed clay pot. Asian in design? Maybe Chinese. Whatever it was, 
I took it back to my place and cleaned it up on the porch, even as the sun was going down. I couldn't take my eyes off it. Long after the sun set and the moon rose over the water, there was something about the pot. Something left me uneasy at the cottage that night. The clay pot was corked with a large, thick glob of wax. The entire jug felt warm. Despite the cool night air, I put it down several times. I should have tossed it back in the lake, but I couldn't. It, it felt like me, terribly alone in the universe. I tasted a need to look inside the vessel. Along the belly of the clay surface were etchings. Drawings, people mostly, and creatures. Strange, vile abominations. One in particular held my awe. It had legs like a crab or scorpion, mouth tapered like two vicious pincers, much like a scarab beetle from Egypt. Its body looked gray and pulpy, like a leech or a slug. As I touched its visage, I could almost feel the ooze of its repugnant skin burning against my fingertips. Unthinking, I touched the cork and jumped back. When I awoke with jagged pieces scattered around me, I fell and landed insensate to the ground, taking the pot with me, shattering it. Rubbing my eyes, I discovered a light dust across my face. I rubbed it off. It appeared to be more like ash against my palms. Remnants blew in spiral circles with a gust of air that appeared. The stars faded over the lake, and I heard the telltale reports of thunder. I tried to move, to assess if I had somehow seriously injured myself in the fall. My face felt a sharp ache. I remember one day in the boiler room a pipe wrench had slipped from my hands. In the cramped space it struck me in the face. The pain drew a black and purple welt across my eye like that sported of a prize fighter. This time the damage to my face felt much worse. My left eye felt as if a shard of glass had embedded somewhere below the lid. The sinus cavity below it was ablaze with pain. I struggled to my feet and slid against the walls, indoors, to the bathroom. It was interminably dark now, with, without stars or moon, but I knew the closest bathroom was next to the kitchen. Just enough room for a toilet and basin, but I knew... There were compresses and, and rubbing alcohol in the cupboards below the sink. I kept a spare candle on the vanity. In the darkness, I patted down my pockets for a match and struck one against the box. The image in the mirror struck me like a second blow, and I dropped the match. It fell in the basin, snuffing out instantly. Feverishly, with a kind of gnawing dread, I struck another match and held it up to examine the side of my face. I saw what looked to be a boil just under my left eye. The skin distended, overtly about two inches in length, slightly curved. I immediately feared for my health. Had a bone somehow dislodged and now twisted outwards? I lit the candle and raised my hand, assessing the tenderness of the injury. It moved. The distension moved. 
Like a maggot writhing under the flesh of a corpse, it shifted, moved from my finger. When I touched the skin, I felt something hard, yet rubbery under the surface. It was not bone. It was supple, like a fish. I felt needle points of contact in my nasal cavity. Whatever I touched slid as effortlessly under my skin as a child in bed would roll on its side between snug sheets. I fell to my knees, my eye being twisted from its socket. Never have I before or since felt such all-encompassing, unspeakable pain. And I fell backwards. Ah! As if demons held me to the floor and slowly, methodically, screwed a drill bit through my nose into the central cavity of my brain. I spasmed, kicking the place in struts, water pouring over the bowl on my head. I screamed till I could breathe no longer. Ah! And the cauldron of pain dissolved into unconsciousness. I awoke, breathing helplessly, like a fish on a deck, unable to get oxygen. I flopped weakly. I was the fish. I, I know that now. The clay pot was the bait, and the hook was now shoved deep into my mind. With trembling hands, I reached up and touched my cheek. The extrusion was gone. Only a numbing pain echoed through every chamber in my head. Unsettled, my lungs took air at last and struggled to retain an involuntary calming rhythm. I pulled myself up to the tiled sink and reached an uneasy equilibrium with my surroundings. Light strewn through the kitchen as I realized I'd spent all night on the floor of my bathroom in Sensuit. I think I tried to convince myself that it had been some kind of horrible nightmare, that I had some insidious yet commonplace virus, that I had imagined the entire episode and stumbled around in the dark during a storm. Surely, I reasoned, it was just the shadows. I locked the door to my cottage and headed back to the city. Better to be in my own sheets than safe from the phantoms of isolation. I could hardly distract myself from the memories of the night before. Flashes of something, fragments of memories flickered. But these were fantasies more than memories. Snippets of a great cave outside a twisting river and a city with walls that rose from the earth. Red eyes in the dark, burning lands. I couldn't put the visions together. They seemed to be almost outside of me, but each flicker I could taste. Each image made my head swell like a grape, churning in late autumn under a hot sun. I began to notice the speedometer clocking nearly 60 miles per hour, and my hands trembled in sweat on the steering wheel. I slowed, clicked on the radio, and filled my head with Gershwin until I got home. I couldn't settle at home. I wandered, as if looking at each chair for the first time, taking in everything from my chair to the picture of the wall. I can only describe my state as one of profound listlessness. Since last night, I neither have the ability to focus nor the peace of a lazy mind. I spent the entire day wandering. I felt compelled to go through every book on my shelves. I don't remember reading a single phrase, but I never skipped a leaf.
All the books were on the floor in disarray, when my eyes settled upon my Nora radio set against the wall. Before I knew what was happening, I had a screwdriver in my hand, and I was removing the wooden casing. I've never been particularly good with electronics, and yet it was like my body had a knowledge and a curiosity all its own. I looked at the speed in which my hands began unwrapping wire and coils and pulling out hot tubes, but I felt like my mind was sifting in a thick stew, moving so slowly. I only recognized faintly that the radio was still plugged into the wall socket and that with the slightest mistake I could be electrocuted. I could smell, not feel, the tips of my fingers burning against the white-hot glass. I opened my eyes again to see my hands finish the last screw, putting the radio cover back together. The tools lay scattered with the books. I stood up and noticed the time. Nearly eleven o'clock. The day had passed and I hadn't eaten a single crumb or stopped to drink a glass of water. I had nearly nine hours before work. Without hesitation, I got up and headed for the door. Halfway down the steps, I realized I was walking to work. KDMN was in the Forbes Jessup building on 9th and Girard, ten blocks away. My eyes blinked and I stood at the door to the entrance of the Forbes Jessup building. I don't remember even crossing the street. Jake, the nightman, looked me up and down. A little late for a walk, isn't it, Angus? I couldn't sleep. Yeah, always that way around here. As soon as the euphoria from a show's over, it's crunch time. First day of the week. You listen to that last show? Uh, no. Instead of answering Jake, I simply pushed past him, into the building. I guess he thought my insomnia made me unsociable. If only it were that. I became horribly aware that every step was now completely out of my control. My feet no longer wandered. Now I staggered, with a will, not my own, towards the elevator. I watched in horror as my hand reached out casually and touched the basement button, while my other hand shut the cage of the elevator tightly. My feet wound their way through the various alleys and passages in the boiler room until I reached my desk. My hands caressed the Underwood Champion typewriter I used to prepare my scripts. The very same typewriter Mr. Bell had thrown away last month because the F key stuck. By the time I had it repaired, he purchased another. Now my hands, that were no longer mine, threaded a fresh piece of paper in the roll. My fingers tapped the keys, first experimentally, then with definitive purpose, attacking each key so violently that pain shot up in my arms. The hammers dented the paper, nearly pounding through. I tried to read the title to ascertain the message that my hands were writing. In capital letters it read, The Coming. And that's when I heard it, and I knew, deep in the core of my being, that I was insane. Its voice was hatred, pure, undistilled malice. It shook my soul and shattered my consciousness. I fell apart like broken glass into darkness. Angus? Angus! Y yes? Uh, y yes, Mr. Bell. Uh, Stop squabbling and sign. S sign? Yes, sign. 
I have to tell you, Angus, the other scripts you wrote were pure, unadulterated excrement. They were? Yes, of course. So naturally, I was nauseous at the sight of you running in as pale as death. But there was something in your eyes. Something in, in my eyes? Yes, yes, and I was right. Right, Angus, my boy! You're a man possessed. It's so dark. It's... it's... all-encompassing. Even the title, The Coming, it's perfect for this week's broadcast. Well, everything but the blood. Blood? Yes, the blood. Did you cut your finger or something? Good lord, man. Did you scrape every one of your fingers? I... Never mind, never mind. Take the rest of the day off. I've talked to Jerry. Can't have you wasting your time down in the boiler room. You think you've another thriller inside you? Uh, I... What am I saying? Of course you've got more inside you. Just waiting to bust out. For now, just sign. Sign. Sign, Angus, and all your dreams will come true. Sign. Sign! He pushed a pen in my hand and I felt my grip. My hands were my own once more. My body was my own. I had complete control. I even felt my fingertips raw and bleeding. Why? Why did I suddenly have my senses back? I had somehow made my way up to Mr. Bell's office and handed him this, this script. I could see the money and fame in Mr. Bell's smile. God help me. I wanted it. Was this human nature to forge the very means of our destruction and lie to ourselves about the outcome? Quickly. For fear I would lose my nerve, I signed what would be the death warrant of every living soul on earth. I was on the street breathing fresh air. About three blocks down, I stopped walking and put my back against the brick wall. Sick to my stomach, weak from hunger, weak from loss of blood, maybe even a brain hemorrhage for all I knew, I stayed there sobbing for over half an hour before I went home and fell asleep. The week went by and I avoided Mr. Bell. I had no desire for him to discover that I was a fraud. I hadn't felt the disconnection of my will that led to the creation of this script, and part of me was frankly terrified, preferring instead to pretend that none of it happened, that I was the genius that was the gossip that filtered throughout the station. I stayed in the boiler room any time I could. I, I couldn't meet the eyes of my co-workers. I avoided the inevitable questions of actors eager to have me explain the heart of their character, I didn't have the temerity to even express to them I had no idea what their character was, let alone the nature or story of the script that came from my hands. The Underwood champion on my desk I tossed into the incinerator, every key sticking with the remains of my blood. I never cashed the check from my script. My muse of madness had left me, and until the play had been performed and the atmosphere of KDMN turned toward next week's melodrama, I would lay as low as I could and ride out the storm. Perhaps it was just a matter of time. Perhaps all those images that nearly crushed my temples needed to coalesce in my consciousness. Whatever the case, I realized when I awoke Friday morning that I could not wait. Until Thursday night, my sleep was my one respite, and only because each night before had been cold and dreamless. I slept like death, perfectly at peace in an empty void. I was forced awake 
finally bathed in clammy sweat. <sighs> Hello? Angus, is that you? Are you alright? Jerry, what time is it? It is still dark out? It's seven o'clock. Seven, but... It's seven o'clock at night, Angus. Where were you today? Were you sleeping? Or are you sick? Jerry? Jerry, the show! Mr. Bell's been looking for you all day. We got complaints about the elevator again, and I'm still having trouble with the furnace. Jo God, Jerry, listen to me. You can't let the show go on. I, I know, Jerry. No, you know what? It tried to, it tried to keep, keep me asleep. The closer we're to the broadcast, the more I know. It's sleeping. Jerry, it's sleeping in all of us, and it wants to wake up. What the hell are you talking about? Just don't let them broadcast. Please, Jerry. Angus, I can't do anything to stop it. You know that. I just called to find out where you've been, but this is it. Just stay home. Take the weekend. Go back to your cottage or whatever. The cottage? Angus! Jerry! Angus! I I'm coming right now. Do you hear me? Are you there? Do you hear me, Jerry? I'm coming! Angus! I had become accustomed to the thought of my own demise in the past few days, but as I ran down the streets to the Forb Jessup building, half-dressed, I felt the full terror of a soul damned forever. I ran. Angus, hold on. You look like you've seen a ghost. Jerry, let me through. Angus, you can't go in. I told you. Take a holiday. You need help, Angus. You don't understand. I have to stop a broadcast. We've been broadcasting all day. Tonight's broadcast, Mr. Bell's show. My show, Quicksilver Theater. Oh, my lord. Mr. Bell is already... What? What is it? Look. Look at the sides of the building. Where? Up there. Near the top, where the studio is. Holy... The... The, the walls are, are moving. Almost like they're breathing. It's gotta be a trick of the light. It's... It's not a trick! Is there some problem here tonight, Angus? Jerry and Jake grabbed at me. Fierce as I thought, I was no match for the two of them. He's they hauled me into tonight. the building and took me someplace safe till I had calmed down. The boiler room. Open up! Jake! Jerry! It'll kill us all! But all my shouting was for naught. It was over. It had won. What had taken me from the inside would soon manifest and tear the world apart. That's what the dreams were. Visions of an ancient god come to Earth. No god can exist without its name spoken, and those of ancient Lemuria had done so well in smothering this creature's presence, but it took magic older than memory and the sacrifice of a continent to silence its hunger. But evil persists, and somehow he had unleashed it into the world. It saw my greatest desire to write and saw an opportunity to infect a new continent, this time millions of listeners, to speak and know its terrible name. To believe. All any god needs is belief, and the world will spin on its axis to serve him. I could feel the walls undulate with unutterable power, a beacon that would light humanity to the endless night, the end of all times. And I had been its conduit, the prophet of doomsday, and now as the world burns in darkness, I was locked here, helpless, in the boiler room, a sacrifice to a dead god's birth. Or so I thought.
but it had neglected in its arrogance or perhaps in its gaps of the modern age to realize that I was not without skills. Jerry and I had done everything we could to keep the furnace stable. It took little effort to counter those measures. A turn here, an unpressured lever there, the proper application of a wrench in the machine, and the explosion would be imminent. But would it be enough? Would it end the end before it truly began? I don't know what possessed me. Survival instincts breed deep in man. I pushed over the metal table in the corner of my office, braced myself against it. Was it forlorn hope or perhaps a contingency I was unaware of that allowed me to consider that with the solid walls of stone and cement between me and the furnace, I might survive the explosion? I did. God help me. And now, I sit in the darkness with one last hope. Crouched in this small opening with the entire building felled upon me, there is only a little air left. The immediate peril is over. The world is not destroyed. My god had retreated back from the radio waves and into its subject. I feel it burning within my skull. Wrenching my free will away, I laugh at it. It may have my body. My legs won't stand. The ground could give way at any time. This will be our tomb. I laugh because it rages inside me. I laugh because I can feel it in the dark, painting its story with my blood on the cracked stone above me, neither having enough palette nor ink to complete the script again. Soon... It will be all over, and I can rest, although I know it shall never be an easy rest. That, I'm sure, is the last of the stone settling. Perhaps it will end even more quickly with the last of the stone giving way. Hello? Is anyone in there? We found the elevator shaft. Just hold on. We'll be there soon. I can feel its laughter now. The firefighters said in the end that it was the sound, mournful, filled with despair. They said it was my scream. Muse of Madness was written by Jack J. Ward and was produced by Jack Ward and Shannon Hilchey. Direction by Joe Flynn and Shannon Hilchey. Post-production work by Nick Pilon. Muse of Madness starred Ken McAlpine, Joe Flynn, and Jack Ward, with special guest Sam A. Mallory as Oscar Bell. Music by Sharon B. Dark Musings is a Sonic Cinema production. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. <laughs>